0: So we're looking at uh, Psalm 51 this morning, and we're looking at how to respond to sin. Uh, Psalm 51 is a psalm of David, uh, written reflecting his uh, sin with Bathsheba. If you look uh, beside the chapter in your Bible, um, this has a a note there. Uh, A lot of psalms have a little note giving you some sort of context. This psalm probably gives more context than any psalm at all. Um, as in, it, as it's quite specific about what happens there. So in order to immerse ourselves uh, in this psalm, we're actually going to go back to the story. So this obviously is a story, as the note says there, uh, after um, David uh, went in to Bathsheba. So we're going to read uh, that. We're going to start there and then we're going to come back to Psalm 51 in light of... Second uh, Samuel 11 is where we'll find that story. So if you've got a little bookmark, uh, one of those little, uh, one of these things, I don't know what it, is this a bookmark? Is that what this is? Yeah, just throw that in your Bible and then um, and then flip back to Second Samuel 11 and we'll start reading there. All right, right. Second Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So in this story previously, you know, back in chapter 10, and generally speaking, kings lead their armies to battle. Right? Like kings kind of set the pace and the tone of the army and they lead their armies. But for some reason here, David remained. Now, doesn't that already sound like trouble? Like we're in verse 1 and you're just going, "Uh uh-oh. You know, like doesn't it sound like something's going down? Like you just start hearing that music in the suspense movie and you're just like, uh... Like it's a grassy field, but I can hear the music and it looks... It looked like something bad's about to happen. So what, um, what is this? I think, can anyone hear loitering in this or idleness? Like for some reason, he's just, I don't really feel like going out this time. I'm going to send the army and I'm just going to hang around at home. Now there's, there's a warning against that, right? Like right across the New Testament. But if you want to be more specific, read Second Thessalonians. Like there's a, there's a pretty strong warning against idleness as, as folly. Now this is... Uh, let me just jump straight into it. This is like a plague, right? Idleness. When we, when we look at responding to sin, idleness is a really good place to start. Idleness is, I was just browsing the internet and all of a sudden, I was rushed by a, cla- you know, by a group of scantily clad women. It's like, no, you weren't. No, you were idle. And you put yourself in a really foolish Situation, or, or I was just taking a break from studying one day, and all of a sudden I became a slave to video games. No, like, no, it didn't help that you're only studying two subjects a semester and you weren't working a job, right? It's like you were idle, you weren't doing anything. Or it's like, no, 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 I was just hanging out with the young mums having coffee, and all of a sudden we were up to our ears in gossip, and my ears were ringing. <laughs> oh, okay, well, that's a, that's a real coincidence. I'm really surprised. or or let me just rope everyone in or dad you know dad spending too much time working on his car all of a sudden is overwhelmed by desires for things that he doesn't need (laughs) it's like kids i think we no you don't need that what are you doing i'm working on the no, no no you are you're being idle and you're getting distracted and you're doing things you shouldn't be doing don't be idle okay Get busy working hard for God. We're only just getting started. Verse 2, that's verse 1, okay? So if this is more than 20 verses, we're going to be here for a long time. Don't worry, it's not. Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So he faked a sickie, and here he is late in the afternoon heading up uh, to the roof to cool off in the evening breeze. So it's a little bit cooler in the, uh, in the evening and obviously naturally you want to be up where the breeze is, right? Like we all know what an afternoon breeze is and we all go, I'd be doing that, absolutely. Like I'm not going to sit down in the, in the palace where there's no breeze and no airflow. I just want to be up on the back deck. So and he's looking over the city and he, he sees his neighbor bathing, his very beautiful married woman neighbor bathing. And up to this point, like we're not talking about sin yet, are we? Like we're talking about folly in terms of idleness, but we're not talking about sin yet. So what what we actually need to do is we need to we need to realise there's a distinction there between temptation and sin. Commentators actually suggest that um, Bathsheba, she was wise to the knowledge of what she was doing, showering right beside the palace, outside in the open. In the visible open. You know, a lot of the time you read it, and you go, you know, David's an idiot. <laughs> now, I'm not making an offense on David. I'm saying Bathsheba's in on this, right? Oh, what? Me? Here? Whoops. You know, it's like, no, no. She was wise to the knowledge that the king, it was right next to her, and she's, she's kind of flaunting it, right? Like, she's like, I'm going to get the eye of the king. Uh, and and you're just going, okay, well, that's sick. And uh, so so... Here's a situation. There's a woman tempting him to sin. Where else have you seen this? Joseph. Bingo. Joseph, right? They're in the palace and Potiphar's wife comes to him. There's no one here, Joseph. We're all alone. What could we do? You know, fancy laying down together maybe, you know, an ice cream. It's like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? Like, What does Joseph do? There's a woman tempting him to sin. He flees. He he runs so hard that he leaves his overcoat there, right? It's kind of like she grabs at him and he's like, I am out of here. I'm going to do whatever I can. There's there's a struggle. He's out. And she's going, "You know, he's assaulted me. And then it's just all downhill from there. But you see, you notice the distinct difference. As we read on, you'll see it. What doesn't David do? David doesn't flee. The question is, do you loiter where you know there will be sin? Flee. Run for your life. Don't do what David does here. Look what he does in verse three. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? What's he doing? What is he doing? He's going, what are you doing, David? He's toying with the idea, right? Like straight away, you just see he's crossed over. He's going, I wasn't just looking. Now I'm actually lusting. And I'm going to ask some questions. And I'm going to actually pursue this. And what's happened is he took action. Unlike Joseph, he took sinful action. So when we, when we look at sin, we're not looking at something that just happened. Okay, It wasn't just like, whoa, whoa, whoops. It's like, no, 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 no. You took deliberate action to sin. Okay? Just let me clear that up. It wasn't an accident. You took action to get yourself there. It was deliberate and wrong. And from that point on, it was like a fly in a fly trap. Has anyone ever watched a documentary about a Venus fly trap? Amazing. So they, uh, they put out a, a smell, like an aroma that's quite pleasing to insects, and they're kind of, oh, I like that. You know, like that's nice. I might just go inspect that and have a little look, and they land. On the, uh, on the uh, I guess the mouth you'd call it, of, of the fly trap, and there's sensitive hairs that trigger when they realize that insects landed, and then it's just like, whoop, gone. Two or three weeks later, they open up again, and they're just like, next, you know, who's up? So from that point on, he's sent and inquired. He's, he's that fly just going, I like the smell of that, you know, let's have a look at that, when really, he should be fleeing for his life. Verse four, so David sent messages and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. And David's gone, all right, what do we do now? So here at this point, you're going, okay, mate, here's your chance, it's over. Like, it's, it's, you're done. She's pregnant, right? Like, just, it's time to come clean. Dave's going, ah, I, just can't, I can't do it. I'm just going to keep going with this, right? Like, I, can't, I need to, he, he starts scrambling and looking at ways that he can cover it up. So we won't read through verses 6 to 13, but the story goes, he calls back the husband Uriah from battle and, uh, and tries to cover up Bathsheba's pregnancy by having Uriah sleep with Bathsheba. So the first thing he does is he kind of calls him back from battling. He's like, oh, welcome home, Uriah. So good, you valiant warrior. Go home and, and, you know, have a good meal with your wife and spend the night there and maybe something will happen. And he sends him home. And after him, he actually, the, the text says that he sends a present. Now, we don't know what the present is, but he's trying to make them comfortable, right? Like for all we know, it was someone playing a harp, like in the background or something. And Uriah's like, what's, what, what's this? And David's like, come on, you know, just, Get it over with. But it, he doesn't do it, right? Like he doesn't go home. He actually goes and he stays at the servants' quarters outside the palace uh, and, and for the night. So he doesn't, he doesn't sleep with his wife. And then David's like, okay, all right, let's try again. And he, uh, he, he has, a, has a party and invites Uriah. He's like, let's have a party. Let's get him drunk. And then we'll send him home, right? And uh, Uriah, in his drunkenness, still refrains and chooses to, to sleep in the servants' quarters. He's going... David's going, I'm stuffed. You know, so two times he's tried to have uh, Uriah lay with uh, Bathsheba and it's not doing it. And Uriah's going, no, 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 I'm not going to go and stay with my wife while the ark is in the battlefield and while my men are fighting and waging war. I'm not going to dishonor my, my men like that, right? So he's just, he's just going the whole time, he's just being honorable, so David goes, all right, well, if I can't trick him into sleeping with his wife, I'll just have to kill him. I, I can't think of anything else, so let's just, you know, I'm a king. I'm just going to gonna have to use my power to kill him. So instead, he, uh, he sends, <laughs> he sends uh, the, uh, the kill notice with Uriah to his commander. So he writes a, a notice to, the, to Job, the commander, and says, all right, Here's, what, here's the plan. Um, we're going, you're going to go in, put your Uriah into the thickest of battle, fight beside the wall where, where there's a lot of um, oppression from the enemy, where they've kind of, they got arrows and there's a lot of intensity there. And then everyone's going to abandon him. <laughs> and you're just going, this is David, right? Like one of the greatest military commanders in the Bible, right? Like strategic, powerful, like he inspires confidence. You know, this is the mighty leader. Like this is the guy who threw a stone at a giant <laughs> and killed him. Now, is this the same guy? Yeah, that's him, conspiring to kill one of his men because of his own sin. So it happens. Uriah is killed in battle because the army withdraws and he's overcome. And they, uh, they deliver the news to David. And listen to his... You can just see the sickness here. Listen to his response in uh, 2 Samuel 10. Down, uh, down towards the end there. 25. David said to the messenger... Thus, you should say to Joab, "Do not let this matter trouble you, for the sword devours now one and now another." The king is supposed to be devastated when he loses men. Devastated, and this is this is like, ah, people die, every now and then people die in battle, right? You're just going, ah, David, that is heartbreak. So Uriah dies. Bathsheba mourns, spends a, a period of time in mourning. And when that's over, David calls her to the palace and marries her and takes her as his wife. And to, uh, to, to kind of finish it all, the most understated verse in the Bible ever, the last verse, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. <laughs> How powerful is that? It's like... I'm not going to have to. I'm not going to say much because the next chapter is like judgment, and the, the following chapters are David's kingdom unraveling around him, and him going, "What is this?" <laughs> like, you remember? But but what a uh, what a just a curious little summary. That's displeasing, David. So let me uh, let me suggest that this is the journey that uh, that they went on that David went on in sin. He looked, so we look upon something, and now we're not kind of there yet. That's just temptation, right? We're tempted and we look at something without any sort of uh response, and he looked upon the woman bathing and then sin uh came and he lusted. I want her for myself. We lust, we want something for ourselves. We take You know, he deliberately called her to himself. He called her to the palace. And he lay with her, and then we hide. And, you know, shame overcomes him, and he just scrambles, right? He just scrambles to cover up his sin. You see that in the Garden of Eden as well, right? Like, they look upon the fruit. Did, did God really say, like, I don't know, you know? And then they lust. Actually, I think, I think we need that for ourselves. And they take, and they eat, and they fall, and they hide, and they realize that they're naked. And I think we can see that in our own lives in the way we sin. So jump back to Psalm 51. We're going to look at, so Nathan the prophet in, uh, in chapter 12 comes in and, and condemns David. You know, the, the sword will not leave your household. Your child is going to die. Bathsheba's child will die. Kingdom will be thrown into turmoil and David reflects on this so this is what's happening in Psalm 51 he's spoken with Nathan and he's just he is torn right and he's reflecting upon his own sin and from this we learn how we should be responding to sin what is he what's the first thing he does have mercy on me God right like that is just a uh, flat on your face cry have mercy listen to it in the the preceding uh part of that verse or oh, sorry the following part have mercy on me O god according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy So, what's he appealing to is mercy abundant love abundant mercy it's really obvious He just i know i have done what is wrong i know i need mercy and i know that god is the one that i've ultimately wronged just a, a starting place of brokenness, right? He's not walking into it just going, I think we'll be okay. I think I'll just kind of scrape through this one. <laughs> no, have mercy. You know, like he's on his face crying out for mercy. What does he do next? He identifies his sin. Now, this is, this is really key. Uh, and, and he does this a number of ways. I want to suggest there's four that we see it pretty clearly. He recognizes it. Uh, See there in um, uh, verse 3 where he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. What's he saying? He said, I can see it. I recognize it. He's going, I can't get it out of my head. It's ever before me. I wake up and I'm reminded of it. Right? Like I lay down and it is there. It is hanging over me. It's ever before me. It's all I can see. There's this big ugly sin and he recognizes it. Secondly, he places it. He orients it. What does he say a little bit later on? um, uh, Verse 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David knows that sin is primarily against God. Right? So yes, sin hurts other people and it does terrible things to other people. But sin is against God. Like that's the nature of sin, isn't it? Like sin is against God. Sin is an act of, uh, sorry, a thought, an attitude or an act in rebellion to or in disobedience to God. Right? Don't eat the fruit. I'm going to eat the fruit. But like obviously their sin hurt each other. Their relationship was broken because of that. But their sin was against God in the Garden of Eden. So David recognized that. My sin, only you have I sinned against. Thirdly, he owns it. You just see right through the first half of the psalm the way he refers to, I sinned. Me, my sin, me. Not me and this person who kind of, they kind of drag me into this. You don't hear anything about Bathsheba in here. Like you hear nothing. You hear David owning his own sin. I'm the problem. It's me. It wasn't that woman tempting me. It's my responsibility. And lastly, he condemns it done what is evil in your sight i have done what is evil i am worthy of judgment what he's saying is if god chooses to send me to hell he would be he would be just and i would be deserving because i've done what's evil and what he's doing in condemning himself is he's vindicating is vindicating god right like he's saying i've done what's evil if if he's really saying that, what he's saying is, I deserve to die. So he's, he's clearing God's name. He's vindicating God. And just hear the way this is. It's so God-centered, isn't it? Like his repentance is God-centered. It's not, about, it's not just about himself and clearing his own name. It's actually about honoring God. What he's saying is, God is just to damn me. That is really strong. And more than that, he's saying that I am still alive, that I'm still breathing is sheer mercy. Right? You can think about that. You don't have to say yes right now, but think about it. Thirdly, what's he do? He uh, he repents. And he does this um, in in two kind of parts he asks for forgiveness he asks he asks for cleansing purge me verse 7 purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i'll be whiter than snow verse 9 blot out my iniquities all my iniquities you know hyssop was used as as that was a branch that the priest used to sprinkle blood over a house when there was disease that needed to be cleansing you know that they used that was the the branch that they shook the blood all over the house to cleanse it and david saying like that do that to me cleanse me from my son for, sorry from my sin because it's i'm i'm i need cleansing forgive me wash me clean and then he had faith for new desires and i i love this i love that he he uh, recognizes this like this that kind of key verse of Psalm 51, "Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me." He recognizing that something's wrong with his heart, right? I need a new heart. I need a clean heart. I need a heart that longs to do what is right. Like that, that's it, right? <laughs> He's going, "It I'm broken. Right? Like, I need this to be made new. I need these desires to be renewed. I need to be redeemed. Now, we live in the middle of that, right? Like, if you think about it, as a Christian, you know, you should hear me saying that and you're going, oh, well, in Christ, we're a new creation, right? The old is gone, the new is come. Right? Like, baptism, that's a sign. Dead in Christ. Right? Like dead. The old is dead. The new is come. We come out of the water and we're new in Christ. I am a new creation. But Paul talks about the war that wages inside of him, doesn't he? And, and he calls it the spirit and the flesh. There's new creation and it's come and it's coming, but it's not yet finalized. And there's this old sin that he calls the flesh. Let me read it to you in Romans 7. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Right? So he's going, I want to, when I want to do right, right beside it. Like piggybacking, my desire to do right is a desire to sin. Right? Like there is a war waging on there. He recognizes that he's in the middle of that. And he says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members... Inside of me, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what are we to do? As a Christian, how are we to live in light of this this war, this division, this conflict In our hearts, how do we navigate that? I think David gives us a beautiful model. Listen to verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Isn't that it? Like, isn't it... When you see sin... And you look at the world and you realize that everything's broken, right? Doesn't that break your heart? Like, isn't that, you just, you look at the world and you look at relationships and you look at family and you look at, like, it's broken. Things are falling apart everywhere. So how are we to live? I think we're to live broken and contrite. You know, people walking through life, walking through sin and suffering, Suffering, broken and contrite. Listen, we don't get beyond this until we die, right? Like we, our whole lives, we spend in sin and in suffering, right? Like, yes, we ask God to create in me a clean heart. And yes, new desires, absolutely. But there is still a war in your heart, right? Like if we, if we can just be completely transparent, right? Like we have faith for new desires, but a part of you doesn't want that. And that part is going to pull you back your entire life. I hope that when you consider sin, it sincerely breaks your heart. Because this isn't the way it was meant to be, right? Like, it's not how it's meant to be. You know, we, we spend our whole lives in this mess until we die. And we stand before God and he makes us new, right? And sin is overcome and we take on his righteousness completely, not in part, you know, completely. We stand before God and the old is completely gone. And we can say that knowing full well that it's happened. And we fall before our Savior and we weep that he had to die because of it, right? We stand before Jesus and he has holes in his hands. And he had to die to cleanse us. You know, heaven, it's not pretty, right? Like heaven is not pretty. What do they sing? Worthy is the lamb that was slain, (laughs) right? You're singing a song about someone who was slain, who was strung up on a cross, right? (laughs) There's nothing pretty about that. Yes, it is complete, but no, it's not pretty. Do you long for that? Do you long like Paul does, wretched man that I am? Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? So until that happens, we walk through life broken and contrite. We sin and we suffer and we cling to the hope of Jesus. Listen to how David does that. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That's what he's doing, isn't it? Like, listen to him here. Don't allow me to be stubborn. Don't cast your spirit away from me. Help me to be willing to repent, right? Like, help me to be willing to change, and in um and in our brokenness and in our repentance, we kinda of receive a taste of heaven, don't we? Like we see glimpses of God's redemption, of Him making things new. And we, we just kinda of, you see the little little kind of shoots and what do you do? You rejoice. <laughs> it's life, right? There's life. It worked, you know. Wow. There's you know the 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 garden coming up and springing up. It was dead, right? It was dead before, but now there's life there. And David does that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. And later on, he says, My tongue will sing aloud, my mouth will declare praise. The grace He receives overflows into praise. It overflows into evangelism, doesn't it? Right? Restore to me joy, and then people are going to hear about it. About God's redemption. Let's let's finish with this. 1 John uh, 1 says this. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See here that walking in the light isn't about not sinning it's about being honest about sin like, if we hate if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us right but if we say we have sin it's like yeah that's true you're right yes you have sin right and yes jesus will cleanse you so it's not it's not about believing in yourself Or or pushing, you know, denying sin, denying that there are serious problems. It's not about putting on a facade. It's about acknowledging that you sin and that Christ's blood cleanses you. Don't deceive yourself this morning. It was... uh, was God was just like smashing me the start of this week, right? Don't deceive yourself, Matt. I, I probably cried for 20 minutes while I was writing this. <laughs> I'm like, this is really unproductive. I'm a real task kind of focused guy. I'm like, I'm just going to knock this out. And God's like, not, not yet, thanks, Matt. He's like, I just need you to be a little bit more honest with yourself and with me. Don't deceive yourself. You're a mess, <laughs> yeah, right? And in that, God's going, there's a bit of truth. You know, so that to encourage you don't deceive yourself this morning. If you sit here and you're going, oh, I just can't, I don't think that's me. <laughs> you're deceiving yourself. And that's tragic. So I want to give you a chance to, um, to respond to God. In a moment, I'm, I'm going to play a song that was written about Psalm 51. And I want you to, um, to sit and contemplate your sin and what it's done. And to allow yourself to be brokenhearted, and to contr- and, and to be contrite.
1: Restore in me the joy of your salvation, would you create?
0: So, by God's grace, when we respond to sin, we respond as broken and contrite people. So, I want—I um, really want to encourage you, uh, moving forward, and, and just in closing, to confess your sin. You know, James says it. It's in—it's in the community group uh, notes uh, for this week. James says. Confess your sins to one another and pray together that you might be healed. Right? So this isn't just exclusively between you and God. Allow other people into that. Allow other people to walk with you, to walk side by side, to pray for you, to strengthen you and to encourage you in your war. Right? In that war, right? I see this other member waging war and you want to allow people into that. Let's not be dismissive about sin. Let's not be backwards about it. Okay? Let's not be like... Let's not hide it. Okay? So, um, I I really want you to talk to someone about it. If God is convicting you and is revealing stuff to you, call someone someone close that you trust and confess your sin. Right? Like one small step... Uh, into a daily journey of crying out to God to wash you.